0: hello and welcome to the 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 edition of the dog and duck show this is what it is literally all about we are in the middle of hate week on the pod today we've got a total of five dogs and ducks three dogs two ducks of course my co-host mark he is the duck my name is warren i am the dog we'll introduce our other guests in just a minute but just as a brief reminder, this is the Dog and Duck Show. And this show started a little over three years ago in October of 2020. Uh, we previewed a game, Mark, you may remember that never happened. Right, The Dogs, in quotes, won the Pac-12 North. The Ducks, in quotes, won the Pac-12 championship. And then 2021 rolls around. The wheels came off uh, against Montana for the Huskies, and Jimmy Lake completely lost his mind and his team against Oregon. Cristobal loses in the fourth quarter of the season of 2021, uh, like he did with Miami this past weekend against Georgia Tech, prompting my term quacking it. And then last year, a new chapter for both teams. They brought in new head coaches. New transfer quarterbacks. Both teams outperformed expectations. And the Huskies won on the road at Autzen Stadium against a ranked Oregon team for the first time in the history of the series. One of the best games in the history of this, sto- this storied rivalry. And they finished 11-2, missing the Pac-12 championship. Oregon with a wounded Knicks losing Corvallis to Oregon State but rebound in their bowl game against UNC to avoid quacking it. And uh, landing, and the Ducks were off and running this offseason, winning the recruiting battle, crushing it in recruiting, crushing it in the, in the high school recruiting in the portal. They also got an additional season from Bo Nix to come in uh, to this year with Sky High Hopes. The Huskies also did well in recruiting, but the real win for this team was getting back Penix. Rome, Jalen, Troy, Eddie, Thule, Braylon, and Zion to all come back for one more year. So here we are. The game is here. Both teams are undefeated. Number eight, Oregon at number seven, Washington. This Saturday at 1230 at a sold out Husky Stadium on ABC. Mark, how are you doing,
1: my friend? That was quite the intro war and he packed a lot in there. But <laughs> uh, uh well, I'm doing fantastic. I'm I'm filled with anxiety as we'll get to talk about in a moment. <laughs> I'm incredibly excited about this game uh and uh I but I do want to start off just by by saying you kind of threw a stray there at Mario Cristobal who's having a rough week. <laughs> I did want to say that Mario Cristobal, while he may be the worst game manager of any coach in college football history, did coach circles around Chris Peterson in this game in 2018 and 2019. Two thrillers that uh, that were decided with late theatrics in the fourth quarter and some questionable game management by Coach Pete. So I just want to say Mario Cristobal may be in every other way a dunce, but in the history of the Oregon-Washington rivalry, he has a 3-0 record against the Huskies and will always be a hero of this particular series for the Ducks. Much very, the same as Damon Heward
0: Yeah, very much like Peyton Henry, who won the game last year on a field goal after losing the game against one of those Cristobal teams that maybe the coaching legacy wouldn't be the same if he had made that kick. But we're going to get into it. So, Mark, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, what's at stake here, and then let's welcome our guests and get into our dog and duck panel as we break down this upcoming game on Saturday.
1: Yeah, well, huge, uh, huge things at stake. Just, in, I mean, obviously, in terms of uh, of the national picture and where these two teams stand, both being in the top ten, both trying to, you know, sew up a conference championship and, and chase a college football playoff berth and all of that stuff um in in that sense this is a huge game if you kind of add in just kind of the bigger sense that this is the last year of of the Pac-12 and that you have these two Heisman caliber quarterbacks and it's one of only a handful of games in Husky Stadium that have even had a couple top 10 teams i mean i heard some some real husky people earlier today uh, on the radio saying they think it's the biggest game in husky stadium history and that was a group. The, the guys that were saying that were guys like Mario Bailey and Greg Lewis, who have played in a ton of big Husky games mm-hmm. themselves. And they were saying, yeah, this one feels like the biggest game in, in the history of Husky stadium. So all of that is online. And just in terms of like our bragging rights, Warren, I feel like this is a pivotal game because a Washington win would mean DeBoer is up two nothing in the series. It would mean Penix goes two and O against Knicks and that head to head. It's like a clear edge for Washington to kind of start off this new era of the rivalry as both teams leave the Pac-12 and head into the Big Ten. Whereas an Oregon win on the road against a, a top-10 Husky team kind of takes away a lot of that pain of last year, kind of helps to to put a salve on that wound. It really makes the Lanning-DeBoer thing much more of a of an even scale uh, the Knicks-Penix debate kind of continues of who's who's having the better year and all of that. So, a lot, a lot just to be decided. Just in terms of you know how Oregon and Washington fans talk to each other over the next few months. Absolutely, and you know the the similarities
0: are uncanny. The breakdown of how this rivalry has split over the last six years. They're three and three. Over the last 46 years, they're 23 and 23. So in this final year of the Pac-12, there really is a lot of bragging rights at stake. And, you know, we talked about this uh, in the show last week, but this is personal. You know, I grew up as a Husky fan going to Husky games with my dad. You grew up as a Duck fan, you know, going to games, watching games with your dad and with your family. This group of friends that are on the show, you've been connected to these guys for decades. And the dog-duck rivalry has been a a, a key part of that story. So why don't you introduce uh, our guest tonight, Mark, and maybe just kind of help connect the dots a little bit with how we ended up with uh you know how many guys do we have going to the game on saturday and give us the split on the dogs and ducks as well seven going to the game and uh we'll we'll break that down so mark go ahead and introduce our guests
1: yeah so there's a a bigger group of seven of us heading to the game this weekend we in some fashion have been going to this game um for the last what five years five times six times maybe um so first up uh J.J. Vansel is uh, a lifetime Husky fan. J.J. and I uh, know each other back from our days in college. J.J., uh, what would you say um, first memory that you think of, good or bad, Oregon-Washington
2: rivalry for you is what? Uh, 2000, which is, I believe, when the Joey Harrington-led Ducks beat the Huskies. I only remember that because I was at a memorial service in Salem, Oregon, and my uncle, who's a diehard duck, I actually, my whole mom's side of the family are all duck fans, he he went to the bathroom, came back into the service, and nudged everybody to give them an update on the score, which was that the ducks had, be, had beat the Huskies, and I remember as a junior in high school being, no wait, I was a senior in high school being super bummed.
1: I, I also remember that game.
0: Uh, there's there's nothing sadder than being at a memorial service and then finding out that your team lost.
2: <laughs> yeah, getting the update. Um, yeah, it was, it was a twofer.
1: It just gets worse, yeah. Um, okay, so JJ and I, we go way back. Uh, similarly, Jake Holderman and I, uh, we all lived together in college. Jake is another college buddy, so we go back a good uh, multiple decades with our friendship. Jake is also a Husky Jake, when you think of the Oregon-Washington rivalry, what is the single moment that surfaces first for you?
3: Uh oh, that's that's a good question. Uh there's a lot of years I'd like to block out, quite frankly, right? In the last uh two decades. There's kind of a a period where I just there's not a lot that I can think of. Uh but recently, right, as Warren alluded to, there've been it's been much more even. And uh I think the probably the, the worst in my mind, the low point was the uh, we're, we're going to punt it with a minute left down eight mm. and then just <laughs> perfectly fitting. We get a safety cause we snap it out of our own end zone. And uh, I mean, I'm not sure that Jimmy Lake should have been fired for what he did, but he should have been fired for that. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it all, all's well that ends well. Uh, so that, uh, I was also at the game at Autzen with you, right? Uh, JJ was there too when uh, Peyton Henry missed that field goal after Peterson kind of let off the gas there at the end. We were at the end zone where the Ducks end up hitting, uh, scoring the touchdown. So that, and then of course last year, uh, I mean, was just still just, I, I, I almost don't want this game to happen this year, Mark, because the, the game from last year, and the memories from last year have just been so sweet. Uh, I don't want to let that go, but, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, another sweet one this weekend. So that's what I'm hoping you're,
1: for. You're like a Yankee fan basking in the glow of Aaron Boone's home run off Tim Wakefield. And How
3: dare you, sir? Don't want to turn the to what happens next. <laughs>
1: uh, okay. And then joining us also uh, is uh, a good friend of mine through, uh, through Jake, and that's Andrew Getman and uh, Andrew – like me is a duck fan born and raised in Oregon and uh and has a passionate allegiance to the ducks as I do Andrew when you think of now our our Husky friends maybe had trouble limiting it to one moment well JJ got one moment Jake kind of colored outside the lines a little bit when you when you think of the one moment that sticks out and I'm going to take Kenny Wheaton off the board what is the one Oregon Washington moment that just surfaces? And it could be, it could be good or bad. What's the moment that surfaces to your mind?
4: Uh, taking Kenny Wheaton's going to score off the board is uh, it's like taking Ken Griffey Jr. away from the sea uh, uh, Mariners. I, 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 what, what do you do with that? Um, probably the Jimmy Lake safety because I, w- I was right by you. And when they came out in punt formation, I remember turning and looking at you and you're an analytical guy. Um, without doubt the, the smartest, most connected guy on this pod. No, not nothing against Warren. Cause Warren's got passion in spades, but you look over and you're just laughing. I couldn't believe it. The fact that they were punting meant that Oregon's going to win. Um, And then they snap it out of the end zone and I believe Joel lost it at that point. And we were just, we were laughing all the way down as we're walking out of Husky stadium because it was so asinine. It was so foolish. (laughs) It was, it was worse than a crystal ball and that's hard to do. So that, yeah kenny of all- wings <laughs> gonna score is is uh tough but that that's probably my favorite one
1: love it well we are delighted to have all you guys join us obviously we're looking forward to all attending the game together and some of us are going to leave the stadium on cloud nine and and some of us aren't gonna you know want to continue living no um it's gonna, gonna be a rough night for some but uh let's get on maybe Warren if we'll we'll just go go kind of to our round table huh and uh bring these guys into kind of a bit of a round table discussion and so uh the first question that I wanted to pose was if we're taking our just our general anxiety level coming into this game one to ten where is it at and so so this this can be a quick hitter response we're not necessarily elaborating but like 1 to 10, what is your anxiety level as a fan coming into this game? Jake, let's start with you. 8. Level 8. And what were you last year, just to compare?
3: Uh Okay, so early on, like at the beginning of the week, I was like at a 1. Like, we're not going to win this game. Like, this is – let's just go up there and have a good time. Uh, And then as the week progressed, I kind of, like – I think it was actually all your statistics about like, you know, like the Huskies have never beat, like, it just kind of feels like there's it's time for something like this to happen. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Could they actually win this game? And so by the time we walked in that stadium, I was pretty ramped up. And so the fact that I'm starting at an eight now, I'm like, where the heck am I going to be on Saturday? Right. (laughs) Like At Harborview. I don't know. but. All right, so
1: Jake's checking in at an eight. What about on the um well we'll maybe we'll we'll do all three huskies and then we'll come back to the ducks. So JJ, where are you right now? Uh I'm gonna be a five. Wow. That seems that seems very low, JJ, for the stakes of this game. Is that are you storing that up? Or
3: is that low or, or is it dishonest?
2: No, that's pretty honest. <laughs> <laughs> And it's probably pretty low. I mean, I think last JJ, year... Wanted, JJ's
0: yeah. holding some cards. JJ <laughs> JJ's looking at a royal flush right now and feeling pretty <laughs> good about things. Our
1: our fan, fans need to know that, uh, or our listeners need to know that last year, JJ was a broken individual coming into this game. <laughs> he had experienced so much torment at the hands of the Ducks that a few days prior, when he be walking down from the ledge, and he he totally went into autzen stadium not expecting anything good to happen. And I think is it fair to say JJ you're still coming to grips with the good the good thing that did happen a year ago?
2: No, I mean I I'm fully fully basking in last year's victory. That was by far the most uh exciting sports experience of my entire life. Uh and I still will sometimes, you know, remember that and watch some highlights and, and so forth. It's it's incredibly hard to believe how that game turned out. Obviously, this isn't the right podcast to diagnose that. We've already hashed that out. Uh, I was at an anxiety level zero of a despair level of like 500 um, <laughs> last year. I just was convinced the Ducks were going to roll through the Huskies. And so, I honestly, I'm coming coming into this game feeling like we got a little bit of the house money. Um, Hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, am probably more anxious just for the game to get here. Hmm. I still believe the Huskies are the best team in the PAC 12. I think they're the best coach team in the PAC 12 and the best team should win.
1: Okay. Interesting. Interesting take from, uh, from JJ here. What, what about you, Warren? Where do you come into this game?
0: Yeah. You know, last year I, I felt like, Hey, you know, compared to JJ, JJ JJ's despair, I'm going to, I'm going to zig where he zagged and I'm going to go all hope. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to call the shot and I'm going to say that the Huskies are going to win, you know, because who cares if I, if I, if I'm wrong, but I think now my anxiety level is, is actually higher than last year. I, I would put my anxiety level at like a nine, not because I'm not confident, that the Huskies have what it takes to win this game, but the anxiety level is having to deal with you and all the other ducks for the next year (laughs) after, after everything that we have put into this moment. So, I mean, you know, for those that don't know, you know, we're constantly ragging one another and uh, you know, pushing each other's buttons Via text and and email and those kind of things, uh, and so to just have the upper hand for the last year and then to lose it at home in the final season of the Pac-12 would just be an inglorious ending. So I'm I'm very anxious, not because I don't believe in my team, but because anything can happen in a toss-up game, and if it does. And it doesn't fall the Huskies' way, I'm gonna be, you know, experiencing the fallout of that for at least 365
2: days. I think Warren, on if I can respond, I think my assumption at this point of the season and looking at the rest of the Pac-Twelve, even though we both have a gauntlet after this game, um, is that we're gonna meet again. Mm. I think both these teams can win out regardless of the outcome on Saturday and we'll face each other again in the Pac-12 championship. And that'll be the final breaking, rights.
1: I, I was going to say something similar. I, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily an, an absolute, but I no, I, of course, I, I think it will. I think it's definitely a strong possibility and it does frame this question differently for Husky fans versus duck fans, because if we come back and win this year, and then Husky fans can look ahead and say, hey, if we win out, we get a chance at them again in the Pac-12 title game. That's an easier pill for you to swallow than Duck fans losing twice in a row and then having to say, well, we we still have some hope of getting to the Pac-12 title game and having a chance to get at least some dignity mm-hmm. back. Like, it's just, I, I feel like if, if Oregon wins, I'm still kind of holding my breath till the end of the season, you know, mm-hmm. but... Uh, but a Washington win i feel like uh will illuminate you guys a little bit more um, so would you say that your anxiety level
0: is lower then because of this kind of rationale
1: no 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 i'm i'm like a 10 and a half yeah yeah okay i am <laughs> okay. i have never been more anxious about a football game both for the for the fact of one i think washington is is really really good and i think they're you know they have a scary element to their to their offense and everything like that. Um, And also I think Oregon's really, really good and has a chance to have a special season because I don't really know what their ceiling is yet. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's worth exploring. I think Oregon has played maybe a few better teams than this Washington team, like Georgia last year or like Ohio State a couple of years ago that were ranked higher. But I didn't feel like those Oregon teams had the same ceiling is this year's team Mm. uh so that's that's part of where that comes from is just feeling like this the magnitude and the stakes of this particular game and the caliber of opponent having to do it on the road um the whole the whole thing just has me yeah i'm i'm like a 10 and a half easily uh andrew what about you you're a fellow duck fan here so you you're the most likely to have a similar perspective as me what where are you at with this
4: Yeah, I I would say I'm closer to JJ, so I'm I'm a solid seven, Um, and the reason why I'm a little bit lower than you is, like you, I believe this Ducks team is more complete than last year. Last year, it felt like we were playing with house money a little bit, and we'll see. I kept on saying, okay, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes when we lost to the Huskies right at the end. Same thing with Oregon State um it, it just felt like man there were just squandered opportunities and then the bowl game where nicks just played like his worst game as a duck and and we somehow came back and won that um i felt like that was a good way to end the year coming in and against washington um vegas has them uh as as the favor uh favorite and they should be we're pretty much split analytically we're pretty much split so if Oregon were to lose by a field goal, it would be terrible. And I'd hear it from Jake. He'd smile every time I come over to his house. Um, His kids would probably (laughs) kick me in the shin and I just have to to take it um, (laughs) because that's what you have to do. Um, So that would be terrible, but I feel like Oregon could recover. Like you said, I I feel like they're at least in every following game, while it's going to be a tough slate Um, there is a way back into the conversation for the national championship. So I'm, I'm at a seven recognizing, Hey, if it's a close game and it doesn't go our way, just like last year, uh, that would be terrible. You tip your cap and you say, Hey, that's a fantastic team. Um, Just like you, man, Washington just got more scary this year. I think both teams it's one of those unique areas where both teams really improved in the off season. Mm -hmm. And And really both teams from a scheduling perspective really haven't had that marquee game. And so if they go up and they're slugging it out and it's 38, 35, 41, 38, something like that, um, I'll be very happy. I went to the game and and hoping for a ducks win, but not completely devastated um, at, at the loss. All right.
0: Oh, go ahead, Mark.
4: I I was
1: just going to say, I think Andrew and JJ are underselling this moment. And I think by Saturday afternoon, you guys are going to be a a little higher on the Richter scale. That's, that's all I'm going to say.
0: So, but you know, the question was, what is their anxiety level? So maybe they, they feel the weight of how important this game is, but they've just found a way to overcome their anxiety better than some of us who host a show called The Dog and Duck Show. So let's yeah. give them a little bit of credit that they do understand how important this game really is to the series. But, you know, Mark, I was going to say, uh, you know, when you when you do a lot of interviewing with people or if you've done a lot of interviewing with people, sometimes you realize that that people aren't always the best at assessing themselves. You know, maybe you've been in a job interview where someone has said that, you know their greatest strength is their humility and their greatest weakness is the fact that they they work too hard you know <laughs> and you yeah. know i think i think assessing our own teams uh can maybe be that same way but i'd love to maybe go around the table and kind of ask the question what would you say for you is the the greatest strength and an area of your team that you're most confident in, and then what is an area that you feel like could be an Achilles' heel, could be a, a vulnerability, something that maybe what your you know Oregon or Washington can take advantage of in this game on Saturday. So why don't we alternate uh, dog duck on this round? We'll we'll start with Jake, and then we'll we'll go all the way through to, to me and finish
3: off with a dog. Uh, so gosh, what am I most confident in the Huskies in? I think, I feel like the easy answer has to be the passing game, right? I mean, between having uh Jalen back and knowing that, that Rome and uh, Jalen Polk, and really that entire receiving core kind of came off a pretty subpar performance, especially I think for anybody's standards, but especially their standards and how they've just racked up numbers left and right. Um, you know, they were largely absent in the second half of that Arizona game. Um, one of the only explosive plays was the pass to Cuevas um, down the sideline. And uh, I just think if if I've seen anything like, – Those guys last year at Autzen raised their game and we saw uh, the best that they had to offer. And I feel like both teams are going to do that again. Like, this is going to be a true heavyweight. Um, Both teams are going to bring their best shot. Um, And I just expect between, (laughs) we know Jamarcus Shepard is, I mean, that guy is just a shot of adrenaline. Right. I mean, mm. he's, he takes a quad shot, uh, <laughs> every morning. Right. Uh, and so I, I gotta think Jalen's been out two games. Yeah. They are I like, they have circled this game. Uh, everybody knows about this game. Um, so I just expect, that's obviously the strength of our team, right. Between Penix and those receivers. Um, I think what I'm interested there though, like I, I, I have a lot of confidence in them but I also think like the ducks are going to be able to probably take away the, the deep explosive plays. And so how do we like, can we sustain drives, be content with the underneath stuff, uh, you know, getting 10, 15 yards, six, seven, eight yards here or there. Um, can we be patient? Um, or do we get what seemed like a little flustered, um, like in the Arizona game when we couldn't get those explosive plays, um, does that, you know, does there any kind of uh, doubt creep in? Um, but I just think this this receiving core is just too good. And like JJ, you and I were talking about uh, on a phone call a couple weeks ago, if you had told me two years ago that this receiving core that the Huskies have currently, after losing to Montana, will be talked about in the same breath as Ohio State, I would. <laughs> I would have mortgaged. You'd own my house right now. Like there's just no way that I thought that would ever happen. And now like, that's not only a realistic conversation. I think a lot of people are going, I think they're better. Um, So I expect, I expect somebody, whether it's J Mac coming back, Polk has just had a knack for being, uh, making big catches. uh, And Rome is our all around best receiver. So I, I think the passing game is just, that should cause Mark and andrew and the secondary coach of oregon's anxiety to be pretty high all right andrew what say you um <clears throat> i
4: i think but yeah with with oregon it, it's all obviously starts up front and the the running game is is something that's super consistent and it's forecasted to rain maybe sprinkle a little bit man i'm praying for a downpour um because that is oregon's identity um and i think what that does is it allows you to stay on schedule so if we're looking at like it it, with the upside of oregon's potential if they can get four or five or six yards um we've seen that that opens up every other part of their offense, because now your linebackers have to engage um, in a way that they're probably not too confident. Uh, We saw it with Texas tech. Um, When that's not there, it's really hard for the offense to stay on schedule and they unlocked it in the second half. Um, But man, through that first half, it was like, gee, I, I guess Oregon's a mirage this year. It was totally depressing. Um, But they got it on schedule and then they kept on going. Um, Bucky Irving, his ability to keep his feet going and not go down at first contact, I think that separates the good college running backs from the great ones. The good ones, yeah, they're untouched and they can all run um, because they're running all their four-fours and that's just going to happen. But when you can take that and absorb that initial hit and keep on going – you, you got to be happy about that. Mm-hmm. So from an Oregon perspective, that that's where I feel really good. The anxiety, of course, Jake nailed it. Um, it's the secondary. And I think the only thing that Oregon can do is really put that pressure um, on Penix, which is extremely difficult to do, like extremely difficult to do. I think of all the games that Penix has played, um, he's only been sacked in five of them for Washington Mm -hmm. that's that's absurd that's absurd you're only getting sacked in a third of the games that you're playing that is that that's what really does it so Mm. my anxiety level like I I said I'm a seven when I think of Penix on offense I'm going to be like a 52 Mm. um I'm just over counterbalancing on, on our offensive side. So I feel like, man, both of these teams match up well with what we're doing.
0: JJ, how would you uh, respond to that question?
2: Well, first off, I'm a little disappointed that Andrew would wish for rain. (laughs) Um, Because that would take away a little bit of the, the, you know, a little bit of the edge that, you know, if, should Oregon win? If it is pouring down rain and it totally uh, neutralized the the passing attack, then we just have our excuse for why we lost. So you should be hoping for a perfectly clear day, and you crush us. No, no, you know, no, no, when no, we no, get no, no. to take advantage of our uh, of our strength.
4: No, so team oh, it's not my it's not my fault. You based your offense on an extremely accurate passer. <laughs> I, I I am. I, I mean, maybe it will be. Maybe
2: will be. I, Even better if it's pouring down rain and we still kick your butts.
4: (laughs) No no (laughs) team
2: team that plays outdoors in Seattle
1: or Eugene can blame the rain for their lack of performance. (laughs) Like a team from Pullman not playing well in the one snow game a year. Right.
3: Yes. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, is the first and last time I'll agree with you on this episode, Mark. Seriously, we we were born in these briar
1: patches. Yeah, man.
4: JJ gets piled on immediately. He starts talking, and and it's four on one. I'm loving it.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, JJ. What what? How would you answer the question, JJ? Strength, the strength, and the area of vulnerability that you're looking at
2: for this? Well, I don't think we've answered the area of vulnerability. We're just talking strength, maybe at this point. Didn't, unless you're asking for both. Both. Give us both. Okay, so I would say that the strength that I have the most confidence in is our coaching. And I think you could, you know, the obvious answer, as Jake said, would be our our passing attack, and that's mm. that's definitely up there. But that behind the behind the curtain is our coaching. I think our coaching is. I mean, that was proven last year during the 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 last uh, Oregon Washington game. I think DeBoer and Grubb and the whole team they have this this dialed down. I think it'll be a game of chess. I've I've been to a couple games this year. It just feels like this coaching staff is always one step ahead of the opposition, um, and so I think they're a smart, smart group of people. And personally, I think we've only seen about twenty to twenty five percent of our playbook. I think mm-hmm. DeBoer and Grubb have been looking at this <laughs> game for the last, knowing that they were most likely going to be able to get through the first five games unscathed, that they were only going to give enough of, a, of the playbook to get by and that we're going to see it. And then the, this perfect bye game, you know, bye week to get the rest of the playbook opened. I think Oregon will have no idea some of the plays that are coming their way. So that's my confidence is that DeBoer and Grubb are ahead of Lanning and company in terms of game preparation. I think Lanning and Oregon are more physical more athletic, but I think in terms of the cerebral nature of our coaching staff and our scheme, we're ahead. On the weakness, I think it play, the thing, and it, I, I side with Dave Softy-Mahler on this, biggest fear is our ability to tackle. There are so many plays in last year's game where Irving or Whittington, um, like we're able to just sneak out of tackles. And we haven't proven necessarily the ability to tackle in space. Uh, our linebackers, although they're better, uh, that keeps me up at night.
0: Mark, how would you respond to that?
2: That's a good. I mean,
1: uh, those are those are good takes. I, I do think there's it. Deboer has obviously proven himself throughout his lengthy career that he knows what he's doing. You mean there.
2: at
4: Sioux Falls?
2: Yeah, no. I, I put hey, I, I put stock in that. Mark, Mark. One thing that's consistent about Mark, 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 has a soft spot in his heart for the coaches that rise through the oh, yeah. through the lower ranks.
0: Well, sure. just as a reminder, it it was at this pregame podcast that Andrew decided to throw down the gauntlet and question yeah. whether or not there was any value in Coach DeBoer having won (laughs) championships while coaching at Sioux Falls. So just had to put that out there once more.
2: Yeah.
4: I I love it. I love that, (laughs) that you care so dang much about winning. I mean, you could be the defensive coach who wins the national championship, but who would, who the hell cares about that? I I want to see more championships like if, if only DeBoer would have coached at Southern Oregon University, so I could have seen him destroy Oregon Institute of Technology hustling owls uh on on the gridiron. If only, if only.
1: All right. Well, so I put more stock in that than, than Andrew does. Uh, I do think it's a, I think it's not a question that I'm concerned about, but I do think like there's a legitimate question of Mm. Oregon's coaching staff up for this moment. You know, um, I think, I think it's fine to raise that as a question. I I think they're going to answer that confidently, but we'll see. Um, if I'm answering this question, what's an area of strength that I feel most confident in, especially as compared to the Huskies, I think it's the depth of this Oregon team. I think this is, both sides of the ball, the deepest Oregon team that I can remember. Um, and I saw a stat that they they have 11 guys on the defensive line that play between 20% and 50% of the snaps. And that that was kind of Lanning's vision was basically to have an entire two deep or more of guys and that nobody's playing more than half the time. And I was curious, I looked up. I looked that up for some other top 10 teams and i noticed i had the michigan game on this weekend and todd blackledge was saying that michigan had played like uh nine different players on the first 12 plays of the game or something like that um on the defensive line georgia does a very similar thing of just bringing fresh bodies in so um this is this is the most confident i have been in like the guys coming off the bench who might have to make a play. Uh, There Mm. are guys who were starters in this game last year. I'm thinking of Chris Hudson as a wide receiver and Triquiz bridges as a cornerback. They started in this game last year. They've basically become third stringers. Hudson may not play at all. Bridges might play, you know, a third of the snaps in the secondary. And that's not because they've gotten worse. It's just because Oregon has brought in other players and other younger players have developed in a way that they've, kind of lost their their place in the rotation to some extent and so I'm I'm really high on depth being a potential um strength that that could uh send this game in Oregon's direction as far as an area of vulnerability this I actually disagree with with Andrew Andrew cited the running game as the strength I feel like the interior running game is the area I have the most concern about just because of how Texas tech did bottle that up. I think Bucky Irving had less than 40 rushing yards for the game against Texas tech. That was really something that the red Raiders stifled Oregon figured out some other ways around it through a lot of short passes into the flats and got yardage that way. So I I think they have some counters in mind schematically, but if Washington is able to be sturdy in the middle of the field uh, against the running game, it really puts a lot more pressure on the rest of Oregon's offense. I'm not sure Washington's up for that. They gave up 300 rushing yards a game in the last 2 years to Oregon and a lot of those guys are going to be on the field this year. Uh but but I do have that concern with with this particular offensive line for Oregon. I just I need to see it in order to to feel better about it.
0: Yeah, I think if um if Oregon could have hoped for anything maybe it would be that they would get a team that was as depleted as last year's Washington defense but that's not the case this year the huskies are coming in perhaps the healthiest that they've they've been in this series in a long time with an incredible amount of talent uh you know for me everything that that Jake and JJ mentioned I absolutely agree with I would probably second JJ I think the thing that I'm the greatest area of strength that I'm most confident in is uh, who I dubbed as the magician on Montlake. I think Uh, Ryan Grubb has plays for days and he's going to be ready to, to, to bring things that Oregon's defense has not seen on film this year. He's going to put Penix and those receivers and that, uh budding, dynamic running game with Dylan Johnson in a position where uh whatever Oregon tries to stop, they're gonna take advantage of what they can't stop. Um so that's that's my greatest area of confidence. I think vulnerability, um, you know, certainly the tackling uh and stopping bucking Bucky Irving is by far one of the the scariest things that um you know when Mark you I mean Uh, JJ, when you talk about going back and watching highlights from last year's game, there's about 10 minutes that I would just not ever want to watch again because the way that Bucky just went down the field in that fourth quarter and tore us apart was Mm. just painful, painful to watch. But I would say in addition to that, um, a potential area of vulnerability that I am concerned about is our kicking game. Uh, particularly with a freshman, uh, you know, first-year kicker. Statistically, he's doing great this year, but he hasn't been in this position. If he's put in a a situation where he needs to kick a 42-yard field goal with, you know, a minute and 15 seconds left in the game, I'm not feeling very confident at all. And that's no discredit to this young man, uh, Grady Gross, but just this is a hard, hard, you know, situation to be in with all of this pressure. So that's certainly something I'm I'm concerned about. But let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the other team. So starting with with the Ducks, we'll we'll bounce it back to you, Mark. What is, you know, what is an area of strength about the Huskies that uh, most concerns you, and you know? do you feel like there's a potential area uh, of vulnerability in the Huskies that you, you hope that your ducks will be able to take advantage of?
1: Yeah. Well, well, if I'm looking objectively at the Huskies, uh, the, the thing I think that feels like their biggest strength is more just the aura of confidence that they have around the team this year of last year, I think they came into that Oregon game thinking they were capable, but I think now they come in like knowing that they're they're really good and have a chance mm. to be like historically good as far as a team for Washington. So that, uh, that can go a long ways in a game like this, uh, especially playing in front of your home crowd, slinging the ball all over the field. So um, that's going to be the biggest obstacle for Oregon to overcome is to try to take that confidence from them uh, repeatedly. Um, that's the biggest challenge of winning on the road against a great team. I think as far as a a vulnerability, I, I, I still see issues with Washington's pass defense. Uh, I know, I know they feel like they're improved. They've got more healthier guys, but I saw that they're the only team in the PAC 12 that has been flagged for pass interference in every game this season. And somebody on Twitter was kind enough to put all of those, uh, penalties into a little video so that I could watch all of them in a row. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, in every game that they've had, they've had at least one or two guys running free behind everyone that they've had to drag down or or do something with. And so uh, it does feel to me like if you're talking about Troy Franklin, you're talking about Tez Johnson, you're talking about some of these Oregon receivers, that there are going to be chances to to get beyond the top of this Washington defense the way there was last year. Andrew, what would you add to that?
4: Yeah. I mean, it's the chicken or the egg. Is it Penix that's so accurate or is it Rome and McMillan and Polk and Jeremy? I think you guys have had four separate receivers lead the team in receiving yards this year. Um, The stress that it puts on a defense is just absolutely, it's, it's unreal. It really is. It's one of those things where you really do look at it and, and you say, okay, I want to take away their number one. I think Lanning said that in his press conference. You Fine, we take away Rome. You hit us with McMillan. I, last year going into the game, I said the same thing um, because Jalen McMillan is just – he's otherworldly. When, when he turns on the Jets, it's just like he's gone. Um, so that is uh, – even though Oregon secondary is much improved to Mark's point um, you do not keep that offense down. It it just doesn't happen. And so you're right. There's going to be things Oregon hasn't seen. I think that's a two way street. There's going to be things Oregon does that obviously Washington hasn't seen, but like that, that, that does keep you awake at night because you really have to say, okay, do we go shell um, and then the secondary point to it is, especially in the last two weeks, Washington's rush game has really taken uh, on a new life,
3: mm-hmm. and, and
4: especially against that Arizona defense. Uh, you look at Arizona and you say, man, they're just not a good team. That's not quite true. They're an extremely good defensive team. Mm-hmm. And to do what they did with Washington, and, and you look at now that game with USC too, they're they're a good team. They're a mm-hmm. very good defensive team. So um, I think that only helps out Washington more because when you're challenged like that, then you have to start coming up with better counters. So that's, that's what I'm saying. The vulnerability for Washington, I, I think, and, and take this with a huge grain of salt. Um, and, and I'll ask you a real quick question. Would you rather, if, if I gave you two choices, Warren, Penix throws an interception or Penix takes a sack. Which one would you rather have happen on Saturday?
0: Hmm. You know, I, I think I would definitely rather him take the sack because, you know, Penix in, in third and 17 is not a problem. I mean, we we've seen it time and time again, he can be, he can have a long down and distance and, we're not, we're not concerned. So yeah, I'd rather, no, I'd rather... I,
4: I, I, <laughs> yeah, I completely baited you. I completely baited you. <laughs> Penix has thrown in his, uh, I think it's, I want to say it's 18 games in mm-hmm. Washington. He's thrown an interception um, in 11 of those games. Washington is nine and two in those games. Penix has, again, I said it before, only taken a sack in five games. In those games where he has taken one sack, just one, he's three and two. Um, the So the weakness, and again, big grain of salt, the weakness is if Oregon's pass rush gets to Penix, it takes that big play away because you have to get that ball out in two and a half seconds or three seconds, and you can't have McMillan. He's not fast enough. To go for that 60 yard freaking bomb that that Penix can let go. There's just not enough time to do that. So I, I while I completely agree that third and 17 for Bo Nix is very different than third and 17 for Penix, I'd rather see Oregon get home and, and fluster Penix, because I feel like that's the one thing that he just has not seen in his career at UW. Again, Big grain of salt because they have been so extremely good at protecting the quarterback.
3: Andrew, I am so disappointed in you. Like, that that statistic, I, I cannot believe that you dared trot out this. Do you, do you know that the Huskies have lost 100% of the games Michael Penix has thrown an interception in? What? Like, that – that's the statistic, Andrew. He's thrown an interception in their two losses that they've had in his career, right? Arizona State last year, UCLA. He's thrown an interception in both those games. So they've lost 100% of the games he's thrown an interception in. And and so you're you're saying that we should we should want him to get sacked because they've lost more or they have a worse record? When he gets sacked, no, and when no. The, the, the point, the point
4: is simply that interception, interception much
3: more frequently. No, inter, So
4: good. I'm glad you said that, so I can really pants you on this one. the The point of the interception is they're fluky. Um, if you have a wide receiver run a wrong route, it's a pick. If you have it tipped at the line, it's a pick. If you have a a, a linebacker drop a little bit further, that could be a pick interceptions tend to be really more or less fluky things. Also, you could throw it wide two, and we've all seen it, right to the D-back. I mean, right between his numbers, and he drops it, right? Sure, With the sure. quarterback pressure, um, he has shown, and, and, and statistics all show out, those five games where he's taken the sacks, his QBR is lower, Um, than the games where he's throwing an interception. And I think that has a lot to do. And again, I'm giving Washington all the props. The reason Mm -hmm. why is when he is getting that pressure, when he is taking that heat, it takes a massive, massive part of the Washington offense away. If you only have to guard 25 yards against Washington, against a team that's as good as Washington – and know that hey, that fifty isn't there. It's not going to be there mm. because there's so much pressure. Then that's what really does it. And so that's that's what I that's why I'm pulling that out. And that's why I think it's a relevant statistic because you look at it and you have five games where he's taken a sack and you've won three of them, compared to you have eleven mm. games where he's thrown a pick and you've won nine of them. Because again, picks are way more fluky, um, and, and that pressure is really where I think. It's the it's Oregon's, I shouldn't say they're our only hope, but dang it, it's our only hope. To to pull out that win, you have to start start pressuring Penix. You have to get him off platform. You have to at least make him respect you a little bit. Last year, Oregon didn't touch him. And he killed us. I mean, killed us. Diced us. I remember that fourth quarter. It was yeah. terrible. Um so- because he just was like, oh, okay, I'll just throw here. I'll throw there. That that wide receiver core is so epically good and Penix is so accurate that you have to you have to at least get him off platform. You have to start pressuring him. All
0: right. So I want to give uh my fellow dogs an opportunity to respond to you know to this statement really about you know what are the you know the the biggest strengths of of Oregon, what are the big, biggest you know, potential areas of vulnerability that the Huskies can take advantage of? But, you know, in regards to this debate about whether or not it's better for Penix to get sacked or to be intercepted, you know, Penix has only lost two games as a Husky. One was on the road against a UCLA team that, you know, has one of the best pass rushers in college football, a former Husky himself, Layatu Latu. (laughs) And and really, that was the only game that Penix has played where you could say, wow, they really flustered him for a couple of drives. Came back in the second half and put up like four touchdowns against UCLA and made it respectable. The other game that they lost was on the road uh, to Arizona State. He threw a pick six in interception. And uh, those points ultimately were, you know, a key factor in them losing to a, a really piss poor Arizona state team, but with a decimated defense. So, you know, you could make an argument for either one of those losses as being, you know, whether you'd rather be sacked or intercepted. But I think the point that I will turn it over to Jake and JJ for is to say, hey, if if Oregon decides that their chief objective is to get pressure on Penix, what at what cost is that going to come? And what what is Penix and Grubb going to do if they decide to bring the house consistently against uh, Michael Penix?
4: Wait, to be fair, I'm not saying bring the house against Michael Penix, because that's a nightmare. I think it's it the pressure has to be The front four i i would yes you should uh blitz penix as part of a normal package but what i'm saying is that front four if they can get normal pressure which we did not do last year um and this year is different uh brandon doorless he's definitely taken the next step i just went and looked at it to make sure that i wasn't cherry picking anything um Penix was sacked twice last well I say last week against Arizona mm. his quarterback rating dropped by like 30 points compared to whether he's thrown a pick or not um if you look at that rating when he gets that pressure he just becomes merely a excellent quarterback instead of an otherworldly quarterback and I just need him to be excellent that you're not going to stop the Washington offense I hope you're not Taking
3: the I'm play. sorry, I'm I, sorry, I just, you're, you're baiting and switching the question though, Andrew. You asked the original question, would you rather want an interception or a sack? And the obvious answer to that is a sack. And then you changed it to getting constant pressure on Michael Penix versus an interception. Now, if you're talking about the whole game, your front four is getting constant pressure on Penix and he goes down once, but he's hit a bunch of times and never has time to throw, then that's the obvious answer, duh. Like that's what you'd rather have <laughs> rather than a fluky interception. I mean, we overcame an interception last year to win the game. So uh, that's why that's why I'm giving you crap because I feel I, like you I'm just... well you can give me crap, but I'm right.
4: Because you're <laughs> three, you're three and two. If I can, just, if I can just jump
1: in, I if if I'm trying to give give andrew's argument the benefit of the doubt here, I think I think maybe a way of looking at it for Oregon fans and Washington fan is that if Pennix throws an interception on the opening drive, it really probably doesn't mean much for the rest of the game as far as how Oregon's coverage is going to interact with Washington's receivers, and Pennix could still throw for 450 yards. But if Pennix gets sacked on the opening drive on third down and they have to punt, that might be an indicator that the pass rush, which Oregon has obviously improved, actually is good enough to cause... Some problems for Washington throughout the game. Is that a fair? Is that a fair uh, way of kind of reframing your? Yeah, argument? well, and sa-
4: sacks are far less fluky than interceptions. Interceptions, like I said, hmm. uh, Penix has thrown them in eleven separate games. Right when when you look at sacks, they're far less of a fluky stat. In fact, they're one where you have to get mountains of pressure to get one sack. And so, I, of course, I baited it in like. In the fourth quarter, and he drops back. Do I want the sack or the interception? I want the pick. Um, but but it's very interesting that when you see and if you just select the games where he's been sacked, it really does impact him. With Nick's, when he throws an interception, he's five and zero. When he's sacked, he's five and two. Right. And so you look at that, and and the it really is. It shows you just the importance of what a sack does. Um, does poor 10. So, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. All right, all right, du- duly,
0: like- duly noted, duly noted. And uh, just as a point of reference, Mark, the scenario that you described happened uh, in game one, Boise State.
3: State. Thank you, Warren. Yeah, thank you.
0: Uh, I think I think panics turned out okay. So, uh, yeah. JJ, weigh in on this. What would you, how would you, uh, argue either on, in regards to this pressure conversation or the original question of? Uh, what is the area of strength about Oregon that you are most concerned about, and what is a potential area of vulnerability that you feel like the Huskies can take advantage of?
2: Well, it's uh, uh, ironically enough, the strength of Oregon that I'm most concerned about is their pass rush. Um, <laughs> let's talk more about the pass. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> it. Um, I mean, it's it's basically you know anything that I'm reading, hearing. Um, you know, candidly, I haven't watched a ton of Oregon's games uh, to date. I did catch a little bit of the Colorado game. Uh, <clears throat> didn't watch the Stanford game at all. Uh, and actually didn't watch most of the Texas Tech game. So I actually don't have a ton of uh, experience. But everything I'm reading talks about how, you know, Mark Mark has been an apologist for this. Oregon's defensive line, specifically their pass rush, is just exponentially better than it was last year so that gives me pause um simultaneously and mark and i have talked about this like two-thirds of your sacks have come against colorado and stanford colorado has one of the most you know uh porous. decimated you know porous offensive lines you know and Shadur sanders has been sacked probably more than any quarterback in the country so mm-hmm. is that an outlier who knows could just be you know, it might not be, might you know, and then Stanford gave it five, and we know Stanford's the worst, you know, probably the worst team in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> obviously, or you know, Washington's offensive line is going to be the strongest Oregon has faced. That'll be one thing we figure out: is is Oregon's pass rush really that good? I think we have reason to be, you know, concerned. Should that happen, I think Grub will start running the ball, um, mm-hmm. and we'll figure out a way to to neutralize that. The the weakness that I see, that I think Oregon, you know, Washington can take advantage of, and Mark's any Duck fan is going to know this is this is on brand, is uh, is the hype that Oregon plays with, um, and and the hype that surrounds their their program. I think people would say DeBoer's bringing a level of toughness that could very well be true. But all these, you know, five-star recruits transfers. You talking
0: about Lanning? Lanning. Oh, sorry, did I say this? DeBoer? Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, so Lanning, you know, okay. Lanning. Um, like, you know, it's that old Mike Tyson adage: everyone has a plan they, until they get punched in the mouth. Mm-hmm. I think if Washington starts with like just decimating mm-hmm. the Oregon defense and gets a couple stops, and maybe gets up two touchdowns. I don't know if Oregon has the depth to handle that environment. Now it's proven maybe at Texas tech, but this is a better team to, to not get pissed at each other on the sideline. So um, that's, that's what I would say um,
3: is a weakness. Jake, what would you add? Uh, Yeah. I think if I'm Oregon, the thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, is Bo Nicks against our defensive line, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have struggled to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Braylon Trice picked up his first sack of the year against Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not like we've been playing a bunch of mobile quarterbacks. Um, you know, we played some potted plants in Michigan state uh, and Tulsa. Like I, we did not, you know, like JJ pointed out, Oregon racked up some sacks against some bad Offensive lines, UW hasn't done that. Um, so I think if I'm Oregon, I'm looking at UW's defensive line and I'm going, one, I think we can run and up, run on them, especially if Tule's unable to go. That's that's the injury that I'm honestly most concerned about. Um, big guy in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. Second, I think Oregon's looking at it like, if they do get pressure, Bo can run. And, you know, if you, if you inject any of uh, us Husky fans with a little bit of sodium pentothal, uh, we'll tell you if Bo Nick stays healthy last year, we probably don't win that game. Uh, that Alex cook hit on his knee that, that turned the tide. Right. Um, and I think, I don't think we win that game without that play. Um, obviously we had to come back and, and actually win the game. Um, but that, that had to happen, um, so I think Bo Nix with his legs, I think the other thing that scares me um, and it would excite me as a duck is I think to JJ's point, I think Oregon's holding stuff back. What is it, Mark? You probably know um, the percentage of like passes within 10 yards that Oregon, like Oregon has just dinked and dunk. They they are not throwing deep balls this year.
1: They have more passes behind the line
3: of scrimmage than any team in the country. Yeah. There you go. Like I, and last year that wasn't the case, right? Like it seemed like it was deep ball, deep ball, deep ball last. And I know they did other, but like there were every, every game it seemed like there was a 60 yard pass to Franklin or something. So I kind of am sitting here like going, is that, is, is this the game where that happens, where they decide to, you know, with with our pass rush, not being great, with our secondary being unproven. um, I know Asa Turner is going to be back, but honestly, I'm not super high on Asa Turner. Um, like mm. this would be a game to try to exploit that um and so if they that i think that's where if i'm oregon i'm looking at it like i'm not scared of your defensive line we got bo nix and if you guys do get pressure we can run pick up seven eight yards here and we know how killer that is right like nix doesn't need to rush for 100 yards but if he can rush for 40 and they timely third down conversions those just break a defense's will so um, I think I'd be super, uh, you know, excited if I'm a Duck fan looking at our offense or the Oregon offense against that Washington defense. Um, I think what I would I'd be worried about is that Washington offensive line has just looked really good, and the the sacks that Penix, like one of his sacks last week, was basically. At the line of scrimmage, like he rushed and he got back to the line of scrimmage, but it was a little bit behind, so it's a sack. Like uh, the offensive line has been fantastic, um, and I think Oregon, they've got to be thinking, how in the world are we gonna are we gonna get pressure on this guy? Because if we don't, they're gonna pick us apart. Um, and so I think they're just kind of in a dang if they do, dang if they don't situation. They got to try to get pressure with four, and not a lot of people have done that. And if they start to bring corners, bring backers, bring safeties and try to get exotic with their blitzes, I think at that point, you're just, you are really rolling the dice. And I don't, I don't think Oregon wants to be in a position where they're having to like stretch to get pressure on Penix, because I think that plays into the Huskies hands. So yeah, I think, I think that's what, what they're worried about is that offensive line and being able to get pressure.
4: Jake hey. you're you're 1000% correct and for that reason we have to grade our defensive coordinators on a curve this week. Like what are <laughs> you supposed to do? And right. I think yeah. if you're the D coordinator, you might be happy with 35 points.
0: Right, yeah, for sure. That's absurd. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, if 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 you can hold the other team, the team that can hold the other one to under 35 I think for sure is going to win this game. There's no doubt in my mind. And Jake, you know, your sentiments about the the Husky pass rush this year, um, you know, are very understandable. And, uh, you know, I know that even the guys on the Husky honks have complained almost every single week about uh, the, the lack of sacks that we're getting, but statistically we are uh, still getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and it's forcing way more three-and-outs, way more turnovers, um, and way more quarterback uh, pressures than than last year. And I just want to point out, I'm on the website, nfldraftbuzz.com. They've got the top 10 uh, defensive ends for next year's draft rated. Oregon's Brandon Dorless is ranked number six on that list, and he certainly seems to be living up to that ranking number three on the list is Braylon Trice and number seven on that list is ZTF. So the team with the two top 10 ranked defensive uh, ends is the Huskies. And I think that this could be a game where, um, you know, especially to, to JJ's point, if the Huskies can get up, and if the Ducks are in a position where they have to uh, count on uh, Bo Nix to get things done through the air, I would not be surprised to see this as a game where Trice and ZTF make their presence known in a memorable way, just like Trice did at, at the end of last year's game against Oregon. So um, guys, as we are kind of running out of time in this epic podcast. Uh Mark, we've got a couple of questions left. Which one do you want to uh bring to our guys as maybe kind of our final final question before we do predictions?
1: Um well I think yeah let's just let's just give everybody uh maybe a chance to to make the one point that they haven't been able to make yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's something that that is in the back of their mind um that they just want to kind of put out there as something that's, that's worth paying attention to. I I can start that off. Uh, I think, a I think a great storyline to kind of keep in mind is the former uh, Washington or Seattle guys going back to Seattle. So on, on the Washington side or on the Oregon side, two players in particular, you have Taki Taimani defensive lineman who transferred uh, after the Jimmy Lake firing before Kalen DeBoer was hired, he transferred out of the Washington program to Oregon Received a lot of pretty nasty uh rhetoric from Husky fans about transferring to Oregon. There was this Sports Illustrated like hit piece from their like fan sided uh offshoot. I don't <laughs> even know what it is. It doesn't even seem like real journalism. It was very obviously written by a a decided fan of the Huskies who kind of made Taimani out to be this kind of underachieving loser. <laughs> Oregon but if you look right now at pro football Focus's top rated defensive tackles he's the top rated defensive tackle in the Pac-12 so the idea that he has come to Oregon and just totally like you know wet the bed uh as a defensive lineman is is not not really uh not really the case but that was a total hit piece then you've also got Josh Connerly who was you know the highest ranked uh, offensive lineman in the nation coming out of Rainier Beach High School He went to Oregon. Uh, Washington made a hard run for him. He chose Oregon. He also received a torrential downpour of hate speech from Washington fans online, you know, terrible things saying to an 18-year-old. And so those two guys in particular are going to have some, uh, I think, some added motivation in uh, returning to Seattle with, uh, with a, a, a special mission there. So uh, that's something that I'll be interested to see is how those two play.
0: All right, JJ, how about you? Oh, I think you're on mute, JJ. Uh,
2: for what it's worth, Mark, I think uh, no one can blame a player from going leaving Washington and and going to Oregon after the Jimmy Lake era. I, for one, who despise the Ducks, can see, you know, mm-hmm. the, the logic behind that decision. Um, here's what I'll say is, and Warren and I, you and I are talking about this uh, this morning, the reality of, of w- what I'll call recency bias. So if we, all the pundits I'm seeing is like Oregon's, you know, ESPN is favoring them to win. I'm seeing 60-40, 70-30, You know, a lot of folks that I've, you know, that I've read or seen YouTube clips on are picking the ducks, almost all of them. Uh, And I think because of the Arizona game, let's say the Huskies blew them out. I think that would have been different. I think everyone would be high on on the Huskies. Uh, But because they played a little bit closer, even though the game was never in doubt, um, until maybe if they got the onside kick, we would have been in doubt. If Bernard doesn't fumble on the five yard line, we win by three touchdowns. and everyone's like, "Dude, the, the Huskies are unstoppable." Um, mm. They went down into the desert and just took care of business. I think if if uh, Texas Tech, the Texas Tech game had been a week and a half ago, it, the, the tide it would have been it would have been flipped in terms of the national narrative. So, mm. gosh, I think all bets are off. Um, I have some confidence that the Huskies are going to pull out a W. Um, but gosh, anything can go. I mean, if last year is any uh example, it, literally anything can happen. And this could be I, I think I think it in a complete reverse of last year. I think it's gonna be fireworks to start and then a the slog in the second half as we just play chess trying to figure out how to how to win this thing. As you recall last year was uh 13 to 10 at halftime, and then just went bonkers afterwards. So I'm calling a, a reverse of that, and can't wait to be next to you guys watching the game and nervous as I'll get out. My anxiety level will go up to 10 come game day, but right now, feeling good.
3: Jake, what would you add? Uh, I think the thing I'm, besides the game and all the stuff we've dissected, we'll continue to analyze uh up until game day the thing i'm kind of most intrigued about is to see the husky stadium crowd and environment mm. um i was not there for the 2016 stanford game and that is the game that kind of everybody references as like being the most uh you know vociferous the rowdiest the the most like the good old days of the 90s mm. um and so with game day and everything uh, you know, I w- was last time game day. When was last time game day was in Seattle? Was it uh
2: 2016 against USC?
3: Yeah. Okay. It's the USC game. Uh, I'm just, and you know, we lost that right. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sam Darnold game. Like I just, I'm really interested to see. Um, I have been underwhelmed in my Husky stadium appearances. Um, uh, a lot of times that I've gone Now, granted uh you know like the Jimmy Lake game was a terrible game right yeah. um so I've been to some some clunkers but um I just I hope that like that stadium I know it's sold out now but I just hope that it is packed I hope they are loud and it is it is off the hilt because um I just think that that'll be really stinking cool to have 70,000 people um, really going nuts, really having that place rocking. Um, I think that the closest thing we've had in the last two years would be probably correct me if I'm wrong, the Michigan state game Mm -hmm. last year. Um, And I just think if it can go to another level, uh, like, I just think the players will feed off of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it'll be an amazing environment. So I would, I, I, I am looking forward to having my first Husky stadium experience that actually feels like something that I only heard about as a kid, you know?
0: Andrew, what do the dog and duck show listeners need to know?
4: Oh, you're, you're setting me up. They need to know <laughs> that my, my favorite, honestly, my favorite Husky stadium memory is when the Seahawks um played Sunday night football against the Ra- uh against the Raiders and Sean Alexander set the single game rushing record, most rushing mm-hmm. yards in a game. It was, it was, and that place, I have never been so worried that an earthquake had taken place like that. That place was rocking. And I agree with Jake, the Jimmy Lake game, which was the last one we went to, it was raining. The stadium was never more than half full Mm -hmm. Um, there was, it was, it was a stinker. The Ducks won and, and it was one of those games where you just, you were glad to get warm again and get dry. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, but honestly, so I, I like, I like a good narrative and I, I could not stand this guy when he first came to Oregon and I just never, never liked him. And I've never been more wrong about a guy. Camden Lewis has turned into an excellent kicker Mm -hmm. um and and I mean kudos to him he really was put in a terrible situation Oregon's never really had a good kicker um and he's knocking it through so if it came down to a field goal um even compared to last year um I'd feel more confident um that he'd be able to to pull that out and so it's not something we've talked about I don't think it needs to be a big thing but I'm going to give it to special teams here and, and say, man, for the first time in my lifetime, we, since Ryan Longwell, um, Oregon feels like they have a kicker where you're like, okay, he could get 35 yards and we're, we're, we're feeling good about that. Um, Up to this point, Mark, what a 25 yard chip shot. You're, you're like sweating, you're chewing your nails, you're smoking. I mean, come on, you're, you're doing some of that purple lays um it's it's out of control when we try to kick
1: i can say that there's a lot more oregon memories i have of games turning on a missed field goal by oregon than a made field goal by oregon that's for sure
0: mm-hmm. well i was at the 2016 friday night lights game with stanford i was at the whammy in miami in 1995 i was at the All I saw was purple game with Todd Marinovich uh, in 1990. Um, And I am coming into this game on Saturday expecting the crowd to perform just like they did in each of those instances. Um, And it's going to be an awesome, awesome game on Saturday. I think for me, the story that I am most excited about is what these guys as a team for the dogs decided that they were going to do. Panics came back, Rome came back, Jalen came back, Braylon, ZTF. And they didn't just come back because of NIL money. They came back because they believed that there was something bigger that they could accomplish and that they could be a part of creating something truly special, not only uh, in their own personal lives and legacies but for the University of Washington and this game is the first necessary step in order for them to accomplish the goals that they put out for themselves and I fully expect that every guy that is that is uh, on the edge of coming back to play in this game they're healthy (laughs) they're ready they're gonna have blood pumping through their veins and they're going to do whatever it takes to leave everything out on the field for this game uh, because this is a remember the Titans type of game for every player involved. So I couldn't be more excited about it. I couldn't be more excited to be able to watch this game with uh, you guys and to be able to get back onto the pod after the game is over break it down to just let out our emotions and let things go where they may but guys this has been awesome we have it it is tuesday night so we've got about four more days for our emotions to just completely wreck us and come saturday uh we'll just we'll we'll let it out None of us may have any vocal cords by the time we record our next podcast, uh, but that's what we're here for. So thank you guys for being a part of this special episode of the dog and duck show. How about my dogs, Jake, JJ, let me hear it. Go dogs.
3: Go dogs, baby.
2: Go dogs. My prediction 38, 28.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, JJ. So let's let's do this. I should have I should have remembered this. Let's let's get one last round predictions and then we'll sign off. Thank you, JJ. So you what was your prediction again? 38, 28, 38, 10, a 10 point margin. How about you, Jake? Uh, I'll go 35, 31. Okay. Mark, how about you?
1: Uh I a little lower scoring. I think 31-27. I see the ducks pulling it out. Okay. And Andrew.
4: Yeah, I'm giving them a field goal. So I, I, I'd go 38-35 Oregon.
0: Okay. All I would right. have loved it if you're giving them a field goal
4: <laughs> with four seconds left. I'll be holding Mark's hand. I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be at an anxiety level of 32 billion and just praying it doesn't get blocked honest to goodness <laughs> like I'll have zero confidence.
0: All right well I'm gonna go on the the high side of the scoring range. I'm gonna say the dogs win by a touchdown 45 to 38 so, We'll revisit those scores and those predictions on Saturday. Uh, But for all my dogs out there, go dogs.
2: Go dogs.
1: Go ducks. Ducks. And go ducks. Exactly.
2: (laughs) For all our duck fans, go ducks.
0: All right. We'll see you guys next time.